love it. He said that we're holding his back. <laughs> oh, man. On a Sunday morning, we get together like this. People all over the world are getting together worshiping Jesus. People with uh, far less than us being faithful. Jim's that particular ministry which you guys uh, help support if you contribute here. We, we send them about $75,000 a year, uh, which a lot of money, but uh, goes a long ways there. Uh, they, they do a terrific job of making a dollar two, and uh, they do the same things we do. Glorify God by making disciples, planting churches, and in their own way with a lot less resources, they live generously. And it's one of the reasons why we really enjoy partnering with them. We trust them, and through the years, they've multiplied our investment in them. So we're thankful for that. So on a Pray May, where we've been spending time on Wednesdays praying, by the way, this Wednesday, we're not fasting, unless you just want to. You're welcome to. Um, we are going get to get together here at 6 a.m. So if you want to get up early and come pray, there'll be a, it might be a little group, might be a big group, whoever shows up. We're going to pray the last Wednesday of the year together. Anybody wants to get up early and just continue to ask the Lord for direction. That's what those guys are doing in India. People are doing that all over the world. We've got other churches in Lexington. They're praying. They're asking the Lord to lead them. And we at Radius, if you're new here, uh, we, we just want to continue to do our job loving our neighbors and, and introducing them to our Jesus. Bunch of empty seats in our room. There's a bunch of full seats. There have been times where this room's been completely full and we send some other folks down the road and they'll start something else. I imagine that'll happen again in, here in the future. So we're praying that your neighbor would come and hang out because this story I'm going to share this morning, everybody needs to know. Everybody needs to hear this story. It's, it's a powerful one. Um, and, and it's a story that kind of, if you allow it, will stick in your mind and it'll pop up in the future. Before I start, let me, uh, let me pray over you and the guys in India and these few minutes. Lord, you know how I feel. I feel nervous. I don't really know why. So I trust you with the words that come out of my mouth and more than that, I trust you to work on our room, us, the people, those of us that know you, your church. Those that don't, Lord, we'd love to have them as a part. Pray that you would work, Holy Spirit, on our room. It's cool to see a video and think about folks across the world doing the exact same thing with a lot less stuff. Praying for their neighbors and meeting together to worship you. Being generous. Thank you, Lord. We, we love our brothers and sisters across the world. We love our brothers and sisters in this town. Got to hang out with a pastor over at the Harvest this week. We pray for them, Lord. I got to uh, see a pastor down at Lexington Baptist. We pray for them this morning, Lord. I want you to go to work in our town, please. And move on us, your followers. We trust you. With these few minutes together, pray you move on us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're new with us, we're working on David's biography. He's a king of, of Israel back in the Old Testament, and the Bible gives him just a ton of chapters dedicated to his story. And so we've told a couple of them. Last week, we told a story of his highest high. And this week, we're going to move to his lowest low. 
quite honestly, when I get to this story, oftentimes I'm reading through the Bible. I just want to skip this chapter. It's painful. I would imagine a third of our room feels exactly like I do. Like you know this story. You've heard this story. And it troubles you every time you read it. You just keep thinking, can we just skip this one chapter in David's life? For another third, for a second third of our room, like you're familiar with it. You've heard of David and Bathsheba. You kind of got a feeling this is going to be a bad story. You just can't remember exactly how it works out. You might know, not know the details. I, I, I am excited and even nervous, and I don't know why, to tell you this story because it needs to sit in your mind as a reminder. And there's another third in this room, like you've never even heard of Bathsheba. What kind of name is that? Like you're working. David, you're trying to figure out who David is and who Bathsheba is. And, and let me just say to you, hey, that's what we love about our room. We, we love to have a variety of folks in different places as far as their knowledge of the Scripture. We're not expecting anybody to come in the room knowing a lot. Matter of fact, that's who we're hoping going to sit in the seats that are open, folks that don't know these stories because they're... They're gifts to us, and it's an honor for us to get to share it with you, if this is the first time you've heard it. Uh, last week, we saw this young man. For those of y'all that may not were here, he was, he was a shepherd boy. He took care of sheep and goats, all right? And we got a couple guys in here that work at Publix, right, like that, that uh, they, they carry out groceries and they stock the shelves. That's kind of like what David was, like he was, he was a... He was that. He was a shepherd boy, just a normal kid in the community. Lots of kids did it. That's what they did. They took care of sheep and goats. And last week we saw David on a battlefield, and he picks up five smooth stones. And I just keep picturing it. I don't know about you. I picture that stone in the air. Young man in the room, I know you can feel it. I picture that stone in the air, and it's cruising through the air, and it hits this giant. I don't know if you know the story. Hits him in the forehead, knocks him unconscious, the greatest concussion of all time, right? He goes to the ground. David runs up and grabs this massive sword. I got a feeling he just let, like, let it fall because it's so heavy, but he chops his head off, and he holds up this big old giant's head. All of a sudden, he went from taking care of the goats to he was the goat, right? Like, he's, he's the goat. Everybody in Israel talking about this little boy, young man named David. All of a sudden, the women and the children, they start singing songs. They're singing about King Saul, and they're saying Saul's killed his thousands, which I'm sure made King Saul smile. And the next line is that this young man, David, has killed his ten thousands, which obviously offended the good old king a little bit, and he began to hate David. If you know how the story goes, David had to flee because the king was so jealous of him. Even though he was the goat in all the land, the king wanted him dead, and so he goes and hides. And it's a long story. We'll get to it some this summer. But he hides in these caves, and he begins to develop as a leader. He's already proven he can fight, and now he's going to prove he can lead. The Bible actually says that this variety of men came and hung out with him in the cave. I love what it says. It says that the men were in trouble, in debt, or they were just discontented. It's a group of, hey, 20-somethings in a room. That's who it was, like, like trying to figure it out, right? They just had a time in life. We got, just bought my first car. I can't pay for it. What are we going to do? Like trying to figure it out. I just got married. How in the world does this thing work? I didn't know I did so many things wrong. They're just trying to figure it out. And so they come meet David in this cave because really they're looking for purpose, looking for a reason to live. And David gives it to them. 
Not only that, but he trains them. And in, in the process of training these men, he inspires them and centers them on God. Dude could lead. He could straight lead. There's this amazing passage. That's why I'm nervous, man. I'm, I'm getting chill bumps, these passages. I love this, I love this story. In uh, 2 Samuel 23, it's a throwback. It's telling stories about earlier in David's life. It's at the very end, and they're going back to these early days when he's in the cave. And this is what it says, 2 Samuel 23, 13. Once during the harvest when David was in the cave of Adullam, this is when he's hiding from comes King Saul, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Raphaim. And the three, this is like, you know, this is like, I don't know, the whatever our superheroes are, like the three. That's who the people are talking about. There's this famous three guys who are among the 30, this elite group, this SEAL Team 6. That's who this is, right? They're bad to the bone, and everybody knows it. They went down to meet him there. And David was staying in a stronghold at the time, and a Philistine, that's the enemy, detachment was occupied the town of Bethlehem, which is the place where David was born. And David remarked longingly to his men. You know how you do this. This happens at my house all the time. Cheryl will go, I, I really want some Mayfield ice cream. Like she, she, she's got like, and it's, it's like brown cow or something like that. It's always something with chocolate in it. Like, and all of a sudden, she'll just say it out loud. And, and like, she doesn't really mean for me. Baby, I'm not sure. Like, do you mean for me to go get it at that moment? But like, there's like this insinuation, like it'd be great to have, but I never ask you to do it. Ladies, I know how y'all do this. Like, it really, she really means get in the car, go get it. But none, nonetheless, like this is And David's just saying, but, but it's what he says. He goes, uh, I'd really like to have some water from down there in Bethlehem. See how he says, oh, how I would love some good water from the well at the gate in Bethlehem. So the three, obviously bad to the bone soldiers, broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well of the gate of Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. <laughs> but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. The water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. And these are the examples of the exploits of the three. Last night, a lot of night, Saturday nights, I come in and pray before I preach and pray for y'all. I was walking right down that aisle right over there. I just read that passage. I don't know what it is. Fellas, but I, like I started walking with a strut, a little bit more of a strut in my chest. Like, what kind of leader is that? First of all, these three guys break through the enemy lines. They get this water that he's just mumbling about because he's thirsty. He brings it back to him, and he gets it. He's full of humility. He gets it that there's something bigger than him. He's centered himself around the living God, even though he's stuck in the caves, really the worst years of his life and some of the best. He pours it out as, as, a, as an offering to God and as like this honoring of the men that he loves. I'm going, man, dude could lead. We need some leaders like that. If you know the story, uh, he becomes a king at about the age of 30. And year after year, this has got to make you happy, year after year after after all those years in the caves, after that amazing moment where he killed Goliath, he just stays true. He's the same guy. He stays true. 
every year. He goes back out to battle, does what is necessary, leads the people with honor. You read his story. We'll read it all summer. Like You're, you're going to be amazed at some of the decisions, good decisions he made. Occasionally, you're going to have a few questions about some decisions he made. Seems like a regular dude fighting to do it the right way, and it's, it's just encouraging. And so for 20 years, he leads the nation of Israel as its king, and the nation thrives. And he uh, becomes known all over the land. Nothing seemed to knock him off course. Nothing seemed to attack his character. He built his forever home. Matter of fact, another king came in and built his forever home. HDTV couldn't touch this home, right? Like the archaeologists have dug it up. It is this amazing palace. But when he finished with the palace, when this other king built this palace for him, he, at the end, he's like, I, I need to build a temple for the Lord. It's not right for me to live in that house. Like, stuff didn't steal his soul. It's not right for me to live in that house. And Nathan comes, and there's a conversation. We'll talk about it this summer, and tells him he can't build the temple. But David is bothered by the fact that he's got so much stuff. He seems to get his family settled. Now, for those of us in, in our culture, he adds some wives, which seems a little awkward. Right? Like, like, I'm not exactly how that works out in God's economy. He has a bunch of kids, and they name them all. The family seems to be settled in this new place. And then chapter 10 ends of 2 Samuel, and chapter 11 begins. And I'm talking about you got chapter after chapter after chapter of faithfulness and success. New American Standard starts chapter 11 with this interesting three words, then it happened. <laughs> I thought that was excellent. And then it happened. If you were a Jewish man or woman and you were hearing the story told again, like the first third of the room is, you all know what's about to happen. It's already making you uncomfortable in your gut. It probably haunts you a little bit. And I, I want to propose to you this morning, it's supposed to. It's what the stories of the scripture are supposed to. They're supposed to stay in our minds and direct us through a narrative without remembering all the exact words the narrative is supposed to instruct us. It's great to memorize scripture. We do that here at Radius. The kids are doing that over there probably this morning. It's a beautiful thing to hide God's word in your heart with the exact words. It's also really cool to get, grab the stories of the Bible and hide them in your heart and let the narrative guide you. This one has stuck in my mind uh, really since I was a boy. It's kind of this painful gift. And then... It happened. In the spring of the year, says the NLT, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite armies to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Seems innocent enough, right? David uh, sends out his army, do what they do every year. They go fight these Ammonites. If you read a little bit about the Ammonites, they're worth fighting. They're the bad guys. They go fight them. They destroy the army, lay siege on their key city. There's a couple lines in there that I, I don't want you to miss. and They scare me, quite honestly. First one is when kings normally go out to war. And second one is David stayed behind. So for 20 years as king, evidently, 
when it came to the spring and it stopped raining, David would get in his chariot and he'd ride out to where the battle was. He's done it year after year after year. And yet this year, when the time came, he watched the armies march out of Jerusalem, probably waved to him on the way, probably was a part of the procession. The Bible doesn't tell us why. He stayed. Stayed at home. There's this, uh, I don't know, slide that has to have begun right here because it's really hard to find anywhere else in the story. You want to go home and read it, start in 1 Samuel and read all the way through to 2 Samuel. It's hard to find where the slide is, but it definitely has happened in the last nine months. There's this slide. There's this slide that has to be happening in David's character, in his heart. And I would imagine when he makes the decision to not go to war, he could find 100 people to say, you deserve this. You've been doing this for 30 years. You've been so faithful. You deserve to stay at home. Take, take a year off. Hang out here. Get rested. Look at that scar on your arm. You've paid enough for our country. Like, like hang in here. Like, like, heal up a little bit for a while. Anybody else ever had these things told to you? Like, it's just, like, some of them are really sweet, and people are trying to be sweet. But in this case, they, they're missing something. I've done this in my own mind. He's 50 years old, for those of y'all about that age. And you know the story. Let it create a little fear in you. That's what it's there for. 20 years of service. Lots and lots of wounds that have healed over and become scars. You've been nothing but true to God and true to his people. And I, I think what I want to argue to you this morning is that uh, in some strange way, as faithful as he has been, this year he feels a little entitled. Like he's owed something. It begins subtly. You move from saying, I am responsible, to I deserve. Anybody else? Like you start moving away, dads in the home, from I'm responsible for all these people in my house, to I deserve something. And deserving becomes the center of your mind. Anybody? 20-somethings in the room, we got a ton of them, and we're really thrilled to have you. Like, you, you start saying, man, I, I've been faithful in a variety of ways, whatever it is, and then stop saying I, I need to be responsible so I can get to the future. You start saying I deserve. It's just this subtle move that begins to move God out of the center and move you into the center. Now, if you don't know Jesus, it doesn't make any sense because just the common way to live is to put you in the center and make everything work. And, and there's this constant tension between what you deserve and don't deserve. But this great leader, this great warrior whose, whose battle skill seems to be connected to the greatness of God begins to slide. Every time I read it, I know that it could be me. And I believe that's what the story is designed for. Everybody in the room, it doesn't really matter what your responsibility of leadership is. 
It could be you. I wonder if it tugged at his heart when the military started marching down to Reba. I wonder if, if he thought about it. Like, I wonder if he thought about running over there and getting in the chariot and just going along. But he chose not to. And he stayed. I, I, there's all kind of stuff to talk about in this passage. Sexual sin certainly is in the deal. Like, as soon as I said the word for some of y'all, like, we're going to talk about sexual sin today. This is getting really nervous. The I, I, more I read it this week, I could not get my eyes off of the word, word entitlement. In, in our community, Lexington, South Carolina, it's an entitled people. And we are them. Right? Like, a lot of us are fighting it off. I want to encourage you today to keep fighting it off. Americans, we are an entitled people. We consume all kinds of stuff because we think we deserve it. As a kid last night, it was hilarious at the house. It made me nervous and mad and all kinds of sort of things. Uh, so a friend of one of my kids was doing another college kid a favor. And uh, I, was, I was proud of him. It was really cool. He's going out of his way to help another college kid. And uh, the other college kid, we'll keep everybody nameless. That seems like the right thing to do, right? Because they're college kids. The other college kid who was being helped in another city who nobody in the room knows. All right, so we're not throwing anybody under the bus. Uh, told him that he couldn't be ready on time, even though this kid was going way out of his way, spending his money and time to pick him up and take care of him. And... Uh, you know, all this is done on text. By the way, that stuff drives me crazy. Let's get on the phone. Let's, let's hash this thing out. But they're texting back and forth. So I got to be, it was awesome. I'm sitting on my couch at the house. I'm old man now, right? Like, so I, I'm getting to advise on what the next text back could be. And then I'm getting to hear it read out loud to me. It was awesome. <laughs> like, boy, what I want to say and what we should say that would honor the Lord, right? Like, you kind of got these, these moments. And it was just this, I mean... Two really good kids, one who wants to serve, and the other kid is really a good kid. I mean, he, he really wants to do right with his life. I'm not throwing him under the bus, but in this moment, for, for whatever reason, he just thought he deserved to be served. When he texts back, I can't be ready because I'm out playing golf, I was like, well, this is when I'm rich kids, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> which is not necessarily true. But like I'm playing, and then, then he, he flipped the switch and said, I'm playing golf with my family. I don't want to leave my You know how y'all do it? I do it. Like, we could push the right button to go, well, they got, like Cheryl said. Because <laughs> if Cheryl said, you can't get on me. Like, if Cheryl's out there, like, I'm going to put it on Cheryl. I need somebody to know I'm loving somebody by making you go out of your way because I deserve this. It was funny to watch pretty healthy kids just acting tight. One of my, uh, my sons in middle school, he was anticipating getting in a car, I guess. We're riding down the road. I can remember. We're coming off an exit. And he said something. He was in the back seat. I don't even remember what he said. Again, no names, right? I got five sons. So There's 20% to each one of them. Like, he said something like, I owed him a car, which made me lock up the brakes on the car I was driving. <laughs> Slid over into the little side. I'm like, what did you just say? And then I, I gave a little speech, and I won't repeat the speech unless y'all judge me. But like, like, that ain't who we are. Right? Like, that's, that's not who we are. You, I don't owe you nothing. Like, I'm driving you home to school right now. I don't owe you that. You, you know, you can walk home if you want. Like, you can go on and on how, how this thing works. But as a society, because of our wealth, we, we eventually begin to believe that we deserve stuff. We got a whole nation crying about the government on the left and the right, acting like they deserve stuff. Right? 
Dang, it got quiet. Y'all were laughing. It got quiet. <laughs> and in our little zip code right here, you know, for South Carolina, a fairly wealthy zip code, when people look in at our high schools right here, you know what they think? Entitled. And I wanted to talk about it because it'll ruin you. It'll ruin your kids. It'll ruin your perspective on who God is. And the next thing you know, it can drive you to a spot that you never thought you would go because you feel like you deserve stuff instead of being responsible with it. The church in the United States, a lot of times we use this word, the consumer church. Like, like you come and there's this expectation you're supposed to get something. Like I'm supposed to be fed or taken care of. This, 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 this interesting thing that's happened because we're given so much in our nation. When what we do every Sunday is we put bread and juice out here. And basically when you come up and take this, you're saying, I, I was in debt and I could never repay it. That's why I like doing it every week. Because i got to come up and touch this thing, and I could never say, Jesus, you owe me. I gave you $10. You owe me. Right? I was good this week. I didn't get in any trouble this week. You owe me. Now, we come up here, and we go, I owe you. i got to be responsible with this amazing gift that you did that cleansed me and made me white as snow. and gave me this freedom to walk around. So he stayed behind, and I'll just propose to you that he... Had become a little entitled. And I'm 54. He's just 50. I get it. Anybody else? Been doing this thing for a while? I get it. Verse 2, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed. Not a good sign when you're getting out of bed in the afternoon. <laughs> Come out from playing video games and the sunlight hurts you, right? Like that's, that's not a good sign. You're in trouble. Was walking on the roof of the palace. I don't know how you pictured it. I pictured this amazing palace. They, they've got some, like, drawings if you want to Google it. And, they, and it's got this level where you could walk. He's all on the roof, and he's admiring the city, we assume. And he looked out over the city, and he noticed, says the NLT. Every other translation just says that he saw, nondescript. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He was out walking around, looking around, and there's a lady taking a bath over there. So he fixes his eyes on her because she is unusually beautiful. It's like this slide begins to accelerate, right? Like he's a little entitled and he looks out. He sees something that he likes and he continues to look at something he likes. Let me just be really clear. Any way I read this, I cannot put any. This is all on David, zero on Bathsheba. You're like, oh, what's he doing? Well, dude, like. Most women in their culture bathed at night on the roof. That was normal. Matter of fact, many of them, they weren't nude. Like bathing didn't necessarily, they didn't have hot water. It ain't like they got up under the shower and sprayed it all over themselves. That's not how it worked. Like, it was more of a wipe down. Like it, it wasn't what we got with, with soap and conditioner and all the junk that we got. So I got so many bottles in my shower. I, you know, I, I just get the soap, wash my hair. It does everything. But nonetheless, like she, she's, just, she's just bathing and this dude looks out on her. And a lot of times you want to read the scripture, find a way for it to be her fault. Nah, this is an entitled dude looking out over. A good dude, a great dude, a man after God's own heart, and he is sliding. Man, it starts to get really nervous in verse 3. He sent someone to find out who she was. Anybody do this on your phone? Like, 
you send a particular website to find out who she was? Like, you, you're kind of just looking at, at the news. But, but then you saw her, and you want to find out who she was? You know what I'm saying? Hey, this ain't just a she thing. This is a he thing. I, I, you can go back to another story in the Bible. There's this lady named Potiphar's. His, his, we don't get her name. Her name's Potiphar's wife, and she chases after a young dude that looks good. Like, it can go either way, but you start chasing after this person. She's no better than He's got a great servant. Servant walked back in the house. She's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. You know her dad, right? She's the wife of Uriah. You know her husband. That's a good servant right there, isn't it? Like, like he's humanizing her. When David looked out, he didn't see a human. He saw something he wanted. Now a servant comes back, and he's humanizing her. It's a really healthy way to center ourselves with anybody in our radius, whether it be on your phone or in the community. Like, remember who her daddy is and who her husband is. But David's sliding too fast. He's sliding out of control. Had he been sane and not totally captivated by his flesh inside, that would have been a warning that would have awakened him. By the way, Man, you got to make these decisions while you're sane. So if you're sitting here today and you're addicted to porn on your phone, let's put covenant eyes on it this morning. Right? I don't know how to do it, but I can get somebody who does. Like, let's, let's get a way to block it today. Why are you sane? Because you're going to go home. You're not gonna be, it's going to be this moment. You're not going to be sane anymore. You might have this relationship budding at work, and you know where it's heading. It's sliding Man, why are you saying right now, let's get it out. Let's get it out in the public. Because you, if you know the story, a third of the room, you know what's about to happen. You're like, dude, get in your chariot and ride out to war right now. You saw her. You, you asked about her. Get in your chariot and run away. Get out of town. Go be with your boys that know you. Verse 4, and David sent messengers to what? To get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period, and then she returned home. So what did he do? He took what he wanted. Let, let me just be clear again. In this time, Bathsheba didn't have any choices. You can, you can try to make it today. It, it, it is in the United States where things have changed drastically for women. This, this is ancient times. Bathsheba didn't have any choices. They came and got her, took her. John Piper would say David raped her, forced himself on her. There are some other parts of the passage that would really support that. The slide's out of control, like, and then it goes from the slide to the moment. But David follows through on his desires. I know you've done it. We've all done it, where we look at something, we just go, I want that. And then there's this, like, sly thing that slips up on us. I deserve that. Anybody? I deserve to look at this. I deserve to be with that person. Anybody? 18 years old, I started following Jesus as a kid. I'm uh, at this this camp that I grew up at, which I really helped me follow Jesus. 
I looked across the lake. There's a lake, I mean, full of seaweed. If you swim in it like you drown, the seaweed will just suck you in. But across the lake, it looked kind of beautiful on top. <laughs> you look across the lake, and there was this teenage girl in a white swimsuit. <laughs> and looking back on it, I think all I said in my mind was, I want that. Like, that, that's, that's really kind of how things were working in my mind. But, but I, I think I seduced myself by saying, I deserve that. To that point in life, been pre-responsible on these things. And I kind of got to this season where walking with God and kind of doing the right thing, like, like I deserve that. I, like, and it was that. It was a dehumanized kind of thinking. It was literally a lady at the camp. She was older and bolder. And she's like, John, <laughs> she just called me out. I walked over there. I moseyed over there. Turned out I, had, I actually could put a few words together. I didn't know that at the time. And I was smooth and created a relationship. And, and this, this older lady uh, grabs me before the camp's over like, you, you don't want to do that, John. I don't know if she didn't trust her. She didn't know how I like, looked at the moment. Got home, wanted to find this girl and, and uh, just, just start hanging out. And my mama called. You ever have your mama call you out on something like this? You, you just, this is one of the moments where you just go, my mama can't know what would be right for me. She, certainly, she doesn't have any experience in this area, right? Like, like you, you got all these things going through your mind because you... I deserve this. Because that little relationship just quickly started sliding. Man, looking back, I got rescued to uh, no credit of my own. I got rescued from that relationship, which was heading in a really unhealthy way. And the Lord, like, just pulled me out of it. Uh scary how fast that stuff can happen. 18-year-old, Scott, all of you know, Scott, if you go down that road, some destruction associated with it. I was rescued. Some of you weren't rescued and drove that car right into that ditch. And so there's some pain there, but this, this, isn't, this isn't that. This isn't 18-year-old. It's figuring out life. This is the 50-year-old that leads a whole people. And he's going to do the exact same thing. And I'm just going to just, as you listen to the story, I just want you to know nobody in this room is exempt from this story. It'll hit you at 18. It'll hit you at 50. I ain't been 70 yet. A couple of y'all can speak to that. Like, it's going to keep coming. This is why, why the Lord gave us the story. So then, uh, verse 5, later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. And David's thinking, this is a one-night stand. You, you kind of got a feeling that he gets up and like, may, maybe feels bad about it. You don't, we don't know what he thinks the next day. But I, I imagine her putting in the manila envelope and having a little plus line. A little, they didn't have these back in the day, just so you know, but had a little plus line and sent it. He opens it up, and there's a plus sign that says, sign Bathsheba. Right? So I'm a married man, and sometimes when I saw the plus sign, it kind of depressed me. Like, are you sure? Cheryl April fooled me on a seventh. We got six kids. She, she April fooled me one year after the sixth kid with a plus sign. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, bro. I'm going to have to drive one of them big vans. Man, what in the world? Like, <laughs> took the wind right out of me. But, boy, 
you got one out of wedlock, right? Like, and you the king, and now what you going to do? What do you wish he did? Got in his chariot, rode down to Reba, pulled Uriah out and said, bro, this is what I did. And take the consequences as they are. Don't you wish David had done that? Based on all the rest of his life, that's what we would expect. Some of y'all right there, right now, get in the daggum chariot. And get this stuff into the light before it gets worse. If you know the story, gee, I hate to tell it. Bathsheba's husband's name's Uriah. He calls Uriah back from the battlefield, invites him over to eat dinner. Can you imagine that? You just raped his wife and you got him over eating dinner. Talk about entitlement. Tries to convince him to go home for a night sleep with his wife so that he could cover this thing up so that everybody would think that this child that Bathsheba is carrying is Uriah's child. Doesn't work. Invites him back over the next night. Tries to get him drunk. Send him home. Maybe if I get him drunk, send him home, he'll sleep with his wife. And it, or maybe he won't sleep with his wife. He just won't remember the night. Like, wait, I just got to find a way to cover. Anybody ever been in the spot where it, you went off the tracks in the moment, and then the after is like you did more damage in the after when you're trying to build the cover? David's trying to build the cover. He's desperate. He's covering. He's covering. He's covering. Some of y'all there right now, you're covering. It's a terrible place to be. He's covering. Sometimes you wonder, if, what if it had worked? to live with this thing you guys that know the story some of y'all that don't I hate to tell you he sends Uriah back to the battlefield he actually sends Uriah with a note so that the general will leave Uriah out in battle by himself or with a small group of men and he dies in battle about as ugly as you can get the last verses of the passage say in uh, very simple terms that God was displeased. His reputation was so precious that he uh, sacrificed the life of one of his very best men. You remember, remember the little part a, a while back where these guys come back with the water and David pours the water out on the dirt? What, do you remember what he said? He said, let me, let me find it real quick. He says, uh, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out. And the Lord forbid that I should drink this. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. Remember that guy? And now he's spilling the blood of one of his guys for, for, for what? For his reputation. Because he's become the center of his life. We decided to teach it just to the end of the chapter and leave it. I hate that because the next chapter, David's going to deal with this sin. But the more I looked at this chapter and stewed on it and thought about it, I thought, man, there's pretty clear. There's a clear slide. There's that moment. And then there's the after. There's these, there's these three things. And when I think about sin in my life, there's generally that's generally how it works. Some of y'all are sliding right now. Some of y'all right in the middle of the moment. Some of y'all in the after when, you, when, when there's all this cover. And it just consumes life, right? All, all three of them. You just, 
just cannot get yourself in control. Sexually, that, that, sexual sin, particularly that way, but any kind, any kind of sin can do that. And, and you got to hit. And I can remember as a young boy in a family where my parents loved me, I, I, I lied to them about something important, and it was just hidden, and it just ate away at my soul. I still can remember when I told my mom that I lied. Then I told my dad that I lied. That was another step. It was, it was scary. It, it took the wind out of me, but, man, the relief after the just getting the truth out. The more I read the story, and I read over and over this week, and thought about telling it to you. I've been listening to the third day on Pray May. Third day's a band, old band, like 2000. They got a song that reads, please take from me my life when I don't have the strength to give it away to you, Jesus. I started humming that song, singing it a little bit even before I came up here. Please take from me my life. Like, if I can't do this, please take it from me when I don't have the strength to give it away to you, Jesus. And I'm reading the text, and then there's this thing that kind of jumped off the page to me. This is like, I skip this chapter quite honestly often. It's so depressing. But then all of a sudden, I saw this, this other goat in the story, right? This, this man named Uriah, dude that's not prominent in the scriptures. His name's mentioned just a few times and if I can encourage you with something on a pretty down topic look, look at verse 6 and David sent word to Joab that's the general send me Uriah the Hittite so Joab sent him to David and Uriah arrived and David asked Joab and the army uh, how they were getting along and how the war was processing all this conversation is going on with Uriah Uriah's got no idea what's going down he told Uriah to go home and relax and David even sent a gift to Uriah probably a bottle of wine and some roses after he left the palace. And Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. So he comes home from war. He's been away at war, and David simply sends him home so he'll do what? Sleep with his wife. It's not very complicated. Uriah's, uh, Uriah's not game. Why? First Samuel. 21.5, David would have his guys consecrate themselves when they went to war. He would actually have them abstain from sex and other things so they'd center themselves around God when they go to war. <laughs> oh, Uriah comes home and he's given permission by the king to go do what's like rightfully his. This is his wife. This is not somebody else's wife. This is his wife. But he's consecrated himself for battle and he doesn't go home. Why? Because he's responsible He's being responsible instead of saying, I deserve this. I've been away for three months. I've been at battle. I deserve it. He de he de He's a goat. Verse 10, and David heard Uriah had not got home. This is amazing. He summoned him and asked him, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away so long? What's wrong with you? Uriah's got this amazing reply, one of the very few quotes in the Bible by this dude. The ark of the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in the fields. Your man, David, they're camping in the fields. All my boys, they're camping in the fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Stay here today, David told him. Tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him to dinner again and got him drunk. 
But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home with his wife again. He slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. I, I imagine him. I've always read that like he's singing songs to himself out on the step, out in front of the palace guard's uh, facilities. Like he's drunk. He's singing to himself, but he's not going home. He made this vow. He's not going home. I think it's particularly interesting that he uh, decides to stay with the other guys who know how to fight the palace guard. He wants to be around some people that are dedicated to the fight. And just as a side note, well, you get out of community, you're in trouble. You get in the wrong community, you're in trouble. One of the keys to this whole passage is David gets outside of community. The guys who are fighting are far away. The guys who are close, he can push over. Uriah stays with the guys who hold him accountable, so he puts himself in a position Stay strong. Man, I can't even read it. David writes the letter that's going to have Uriah executed, basically. And Uriah carries it to the king. He's obedient to the end. As a matter of fact, Joab puts him out in the battle. He's where the fiercest part of the battle is, and they leave Uriah. I don't know if you know this, but Uriah is one of the 30 mighty men who can fight. So I, I just imagine the battle going down right there. People dying left and right. As Uriah by himself with a few of his troops, they're getting it all the way to the death. He died for the king. He died for the nation of Israel. He died for the God of Israel. Right? Not a bad way to end. Obedient all the way to the end. That's what I'm dreaming about. I hope I can finish. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But if you flip to your New Testament, Uriah's name is mentioned once. It's in Matthew. It's this lineage. It's this long list of people that contributed to Mary being born, Jesus' mother. And it goes David, and then it's going to name David's wife who produced their son named Solomon. And it says the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Just a faithful dude with no fame, faithful to the end, finds his way into the most prominent, most important genealogy of all time. Pretty cool. Again, as we take this bread and juice, I want to remind you, you don't deserve that. Right? It's a gift. By God's grace, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what this story has pulled up, that's his gift to you. And so when you come up and die to any entitlement, and maybe even say under your breath or out loud, I don't deserve this. But because of this, I am responsible. Let's pray together. Father, that story's been told. 3,000 years. It's your story. You had it written about a man that you said was after your heart. So teach us from it. I imagine there's all kind of thoughts going on in the room. Lord, I pray that your spirit would grab the right thoughts and drive them home. For some that have this sin that's just destroying their lives, I pray that you give them courage to bring it into the light now instead of later. 
some of us have been following you for a long time, pray that story that we already knew would jump back to the front of our mind and we would uh, we'd be warned. Lord, as I look across the room, I see some men in this room and, and ladies in this room that have kind of helped build this church, Lord, and been faithful and they've been through the battles. I'm thankful for them. Protect them, Lord. I love you. Amen.